0: Well, good morning. I think it's time for us to get uh, started here today, and so we will uh, we will do that. We're going to be in Colossians uh, in chapter one, uh, still, and we're going to start with verse uh, uh, fifteen is where our text will begin uh, today, and. Uh, I'd like to begin just by reading that, that text together. If you've got your Bibles open and and want to uh, read along with me. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we'll start. It said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Well, last, uh, last week, Pastor Summers did a great job of outlining one of the Apostle Paul's great prayers from verses 9 through 14. And uh, previously. As we've discussed these, this opening chapter of, of Colossians, we've talked about the fact that, uh, that one of Paul's primary purposes in in writing to the church at Colossae was to guard them against the heresies that were being proclaimed by uh, particularly the Gnostics, but uh, a couple of other cults as well that were there. Colossae seemed to be a hotbed for that sort of thing. I'd like to kind of refresh your minds this morning by just reading a a short synopsis of Gnostic teaching, uh, if you'll bear with me for a moment. It says, basically the Gnostic believers in acquiring special mystical knowledge as the means for salvation... According to uh, Gnostic beliefs, there is a great God that is good and perfect, but impersonable and unknowable. The creator of the universe was actually a lesser deity, a cheap knockoff of the true God who wanted to create a flawless material universe but botched the job. Instead of having a utopia, we ended up with a world infected with pain, misery, and intellectual and spiritual blindness. All matter is now corrupt and evil. However, when this lesser deity created man, he accidentally imbued uh, humanity with a spark of the true God Spirit, making him an inherently good soul trapped in the confines of an evil material body. That uh, came from, from gotquestions.org and I have uh, put that link here. I, I've posted that website on your, your notes there. But of course, uh, as we consider that, Jesus is is that lesser deity that they're talking about who, who created everything material. You may remember from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It's the... Uh, um, it, it it is that false teaching, that heresy, that Paul is begins to dismantle in this passage uh, that we're dealing with today. He really is uh, is starting us off in, in that way. I would like to uh, have you bow your heads together with me and pray as we uh, as we approach this this morning. So, Lord God, thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that in the, uh, in, in the midst of all kinds of, of heresies that were not just common to Paul's day, but are common to ours as well, you have given us your infallible word as a guide and as a director. So, Father, help us today as we uh, examine this passage and the truth that it contains. I pray, Father, that it might uh, e- inspire us in some way, Uh, to worship you in a greater measure, to have more faith and trust in who you are. And we'll give you praise for that uh, now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin by uh, jumping backwards just a little bit into uh, verse 13. I want you to notice that uh, we are not good souls, that are trapped inside an an evil material body. We were created good. As God uh, observed uh, His created work, it's recorded in Genesis that it was good. Now, God created the the world. Each thing that He created, He saw that it was good. But then the fall occurred in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, in in disobedience to God's command, uh, sinned in the garden. They fell uh, to the the lies of, of Satan. And the legacy of Adam then is that through his sin, the whole world became infected. With sin and that old sin nature, you and I inherited that old sin nature uh, that came through Adam. So the total depravity of of man is a uh, is recorded throughout the Bible. Uh, but in Jeremiah chapter seventeen verse nine, it reminds us that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. But praise be to God. <laughs> praise be to God. He, God the Father, according to verse thirteen, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Uh, I, uh, Pastor Summers covered that well last week, but I, it's it's a good prelude to where we're headed this morning. I want you to look at those those two words: delivered and transferred. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. To understand what that means, it's delivered and transferred. It's a done deal. These are past tense words and they're they're, they're a done deal. This, uh, at the end of last week, I I received a a really nice thank you note from the wife of one of our elders. She wrote the note, she prepared it for the mail, she put it in the box. And so I asked, does she have to to worry about it uh, after that? Well, it could get lost in the mail, but the truth is not not at all, And, and now she doesn't for sure because later that week, it was delivered and transferred from her hand into mine. I received it. It's a done deal. She doesn't worry about it anymore. If you, by faith, have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been delivered and transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It's a done deal. It didn't take even a few days for the process to be completed. It was an immediate transaction that when you were moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son was immediate. So you see, Jesus is not as the Gnostics may have said, a cheap knockoff of the real God. He is the real thing. Gnostics' teaching stressed knowledge and self-enlightenment as opposed uh, as the only way of salvation. The only way a person could be saved was by learning more and more. And the truth is, if you learned more and more from them, you became further and further away from what salvation really is. So Scripture uh, refutes that thinking in verse 14 as Paul continued talking about Jesus, the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So where does salvation come from? From knowledge and enlightenment? No. Through Jesus Christ, we received redemption and the forgiveness of sin. I'm going to ask you a question and I want everyone to, to answer in your own mind. You don't have to answer out loud. Don't let this scare you. The answer's clear as it can be. Are you ready? In whom do we have redemption? In whom do we have forgiveness of sins? Bible's very clear, is it not? It comes through Jesus. Well, who in the world is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the real question that has troubled so many people for thousands of years. Was Jesus God, or was He just a good man? One apologist reminds us that if Jesus wasn't God, He certainly wasn't a good man. He was a liar, because Jesus claimed that He, that he was God, not only the apostles. There was an a, uh, a ongoing study some years ago. And that was interesting. I I, I looked it up again just to see where it was at these days, but something called the Jesus Project. Any of you remember that? The Jesus Project was trying to determine the true historical character of Jesus and who he really was. And one of the things that they claimed from that was that Jesus never claimed to be God. It, it's amazing that you can bring so many scholars in to study the Bible and yet not understand that when Jesus said in John chapter eight, I am, he was re, he was quoting the same uh, term that Abraham, or that Moses was told by God to explain who God was, say, I am, has sent you. And the Jews of that day believed him. Believe that that's what he meant, that he actually meant that he was God, because they took up stones to stone him for blasphemy. So Jesus did indeed claim to be God, but Paul answers the, uh, the question in a couple of, of ways in, these, in verse 15. First of all, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does that mean? He was the image of the invisible God. God is invisible, but Psalm 19 tells us the the stars declare His handiwork. They reveal the power and majesty of God. If you've been outside on a starry night, and I'm sure that all of you have at some point or another, um, if you live in this area of the country, the stars are not nearly the same as they were when I was a young boy. There's far too much light pollution and you can't see them. But if you get out to a place where you can see them, and even for what we we can, we recognize the, the beauty and the handiwork of, of God in, in all of that. They reveal uh, the power and the majesty of our great God. Carolyn and I were just talking about it a little bit on our way out to church this morning That it is it is so difficult for us to fathom the greatness of God, even in the sense of His, his creation, to realize that we're only a, a little bit bitty part of it. But, uh, but the stars don't dis- dis- describe for us all, all of who God is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, so the Bible reveals doctrine. And the Bible instructs us about holy living. It, it tells us a great deal about God as well. So we learn a lot about God from creation. We learn a lot about God from His Word. But God wanted us to have a complete revelation of who He is. A complete revelation. A a, a, limited, a, a living image of himself. So it's important to know that that God is love. But it is so much better to see God's love. It gives us a more complete understanding. It's one thing to be told that God is holy. It's quite another to see God living a perfectly holy life. Did God create a man to uh, reveal himself? The answer is no, he did not. Philippians 2 reveals that Jesus, who was in the form of God, left the glory of heaven. He humbled himself, and he took on the form of man by being born in the likeness of men. When we, uh, we so, so here's the key. God created man in his image from Genesis, right? God created man in his image, created them, man and woman. But Jesus came to earth as the image of God. Not in the image of God, but as the image of God. He is the the perfect and complete, authentic, visible revelation of God. Again, he's not a cheap knockoff. He is the real thing. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he ups- upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is invisible. But if you want to know what he is, uh, what he's like, all you have to do is see Jesus. He is exactly like God in every aspect of his character because he is God. God revealed himself through nature, through his word, in the flesh of Jesus. As Peter writes, we have everything we need for life and godliness. His revelation is sufficient for us, his re- revelation is complete. There's another description that uh, uh, causes confusion to some. And, uh, and, and first of all, people do have trouble sometimes with the image of God. Is, it, is he an imitation? You know, No, he's, he's the, the real thing. But, but the other description that he gives here causes some sc- confusion as well. It, Paul says that he is the firstborn of all creation. So here we go again. God is eternal. Scripture teaches us that. If Jesus is God, how can he have a beginning? How can he be the firstborn? If he's the creator, then how can he be the first creation? Those are questions that the Jehovah's Witnesses ask. Other deity deniers ask the same same questions. Actually, the Gnostics would have said to Paul, exactly, that's what we've been trying to say. We can't ignore them or pretend they don't exist in those questions. Thankfully, the answers are not difficult. You think about how silly it would have been for Paul to present a claim that reinforced the very heresy that he was trying to hide. So obviously, Paul was not saying what they think he was saying. In or what many think that he was saying, in both Jewish and and Greek culture, and here's where the explanation would come. The term "firstborn" is not limited to birth order. That's the way we might think of it. We think of somebody being the firstborn in their family. I was the last born in my family. Um, I'm convinced that that um, God saves the best for last. <laughs> But the firstborn uh, was not used in, uh, in, in Jewish and in Greek cultures to identify chronology. It was used to de- identify rank. The firstborn was the one who was given the right to the inheritance. In Exodus chapter four verse 22, God, God referred to Jacob to Israel as his firstborn. But obviously he was not the firstborn. In terms of chronology, even among the patriarchs, Jacob was the third, right? Um, and uh, and he was not. You'll remember that he was a twin with Esau, but Esau was born first. So, as God spoke of it of him in, in firstborn, He wasn't talking about chronology. Um. In this context, it has to do with rank and preeminence, not chronology. Next few verses make that clear. Verse 15 answered the question, Who is Jesus? Verses 16 to 23 answer a second question, What has Jesus done? First of all, who is Jesus? What has he done? Well, I want to break that down into two relationships that Paul tells us. Uh, two things over which uh, Jesus has preeminence, and first of all, it's he talks of the physical universe. He says he 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 created it all. Earlier, first uh, I mentioned Psalm nineteen verse and, and here but here verse one again, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky. Uh, skies above, proclaim his handiwork. We don't have time this morning to uh, to read Job 38, but I, I would like to encourage you uh, when you have an opportunity to, to read Job 38. Remember, job went through all that testing and, and trying with the loss of his family and his riches and and, and everything and then his friends came and they they all ac- accused him of, of having some some sin in, in his life that uh, and in job, it didn't turn from his faith but job asks some some uh troubling questions that were on his heart about about god and when and at the end of that time when god comes to job again he begins to question him he and he asks him a very penetrating question where were you when i began creation when i set the the foundations of the earth where were you and he asks those questions and as he asks those questions he they, they, they're so uh, expansive in, in what he has to say. But um, you just recognize that uh, the, the intricate greatness of God's creation through all of that. And so, like I said before, you, if you gaze at the stars and, and, it, and what you can see with your eyes only begins uh, to tell the story. In the commentary on, on Colossians, uh, Dr. John MacArthur reveals some interesting uh, stats, and I'm going to share just a few with you. I've, he's got a long section in there, and I, I won't share it all this morning, but let me share just a couple of things regarding the, the size of the universe our, our sun, which you could get a good look at this morning if you were coming from the west this direction, all, uh, seeing it through the haze and that big round ball in the sky there. But it has a diameter of 864,000 miles, which is 100 times the size of Earth. It could hold 1.3 million planets the size of Earth. In addition to that, uh, of all the stars that are in the sky, which are uh, thought to number in the, in the trillions, and and, I, and and again, you wonder what kind of a boundary is there on the heavens. It's, it, it has to just go on and on. But there's a star uh, called Beltajaz, has a diameter of 100 million miles, That's more than 587 times the size of our sun. And beyond that, scientists are beginning to admit that that all of the material world is far too complicated to even exist apart from a great designer. Now, that's a hard truth for many of them to swallow, but they're finally coming around to that point In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes of the foolishness of the unrighteous. If you um, want to take note of of Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and and 20, um, Paul says, What can be known about God is plain to them. So God is, it goes back to God's revelation again, very plain understandable revelation that people ought to be able to look up the skies and say, oh my God. But in a reverent sense, not an irreverent one. He said that that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, those who don't see God, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The heresy, you remember, said that everything material was evil. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They failed to see the beauty of, of God in his creation and, and thank him for it. They should have spent more time away from the deserts and the dusty roads (laughs) of the city. (laughs) They'd obviously never been to Iowa. (laughs) Unashamedly, Paul claims that Jesus is the Creator God. He goes further still in verse 17 to say that He is before all things, and in Him all things are held together. Everything in our universe is held together in a delicate balance. What keeps gravity from, from crushing everything together? What, what keeps the centrifugal force of our, of our spinning earth from just throwing us all out into space? What keeps the, the planets from colliding from one another? What keeps our earth in orbit around the sun in, instead of, of uh, in going in that circle around the, the sun, instead of having that velocity that just takes it out in a straight path past the sun? Who designed that? Where did that come from? There's something scientists call the strong nuclear force, but they have no explanation for why it exists. It is that strong nuclear force that holds things together. Paul gives a simple explanation. He says, Jesus existed before the universe began, and in him all things are held together. In Him, all things are held together. One day, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 10, that strong nuclear force will let go. He says in verse 10, "...but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the he- heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Then in verse 16, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. We talked about the physical earth, the, the visible. Um, but what about the invisible? He goes on in that passage, and he said, Thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. So we're assured here that Jesus is, is not an angel, another one, part of the heresy of the, of, the, um, of the Gnostics. Jesus created the angels and all the beings of the spiritual world, and he has ultimate authority over them. So let's summarize this quickly more quickly than we need to because we've got uh, plenty of time here this morning. But let's let's summarize it. Uh, Jesus is God. He preexisted the universe in which we live. He created everything within it, both the visible things that we see and the invisible, and he keeps it all together. There's... there's one important aspect of this preeminence in in this passage as well. In verse 18 it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's talking about the universal church, of course, that he is head of, of the church all over. But if he's the head of the church everywhere, he's the head of the church here. Newcastle Bible Church has papers of incorporation. We have those in the in the church office. You could look at them sometime if you if you wanted to. Uh, papers of incorporation and papers of re and amended papers of incorporation. The church is a a body. It is a... um, It's not just an incorporated entity. The church is a body. It's a living thing, which God has designed so that, that every part of the body plays a necessary and important part in the body. There's some observations we can make from that. First of all, we recognize that our, our elders, as much as I, I love and respect them and, and honor them, they're not the head of the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and he is the authority over the body. Our elders have a, a responsibility to, to lead as, as they felt feel led by God, but they're responsible to God. And um, conversely, the congregation is not the head. The elders are not responsible to the congregation. They're to shepherd and to minister to and to love and care for the congregation, but they're responsible to God and that's an important part for, thing for us to remember as well. Second observation from this is that Christ is the beginning of the church. It's in him that we have that we have life. As part of the ch- church, we have no life apart from him. And we have the hope of resurrection, which is really at the core of what we believe. You may remember that Paul uh, points out in 1 Corinthians 15 that if, if, if Christ has not risen from the dead, we, we are hopeless people. We have no, no hope. But Christ did was raised from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now there's that term again. There's that term again. He was the firstborn from the dead. And and if you try to explain how Jesus was the first one uh, resurrected, well, you're going to have a hard time when you get into the scriptures because Jesus was not the first one resurrected from the dead. There were many resurrected in his ministry, resurrected uh, Lazarus, you remember. There were others. His graves were opened when he was hanging on the cross, so it speaks again the firstborn here being uh, speaking of rank and and rule obviously uh, those who had been raised before all, all died but Jesus defeated death. And that's the the key on that. He he had authority over death. He ranked over death. He was preeminent in death. And from that standpoint, was firstborn. And then finally, in that Christ is preeminent in everything. Once again, Paul just reiterates that. And so once again, we recognize that contrary to the teaching of the Gnostics, Jesus was not just a cheap knockoff of the real God. Jesus is the real God. He is the real God of, of, uh, sent by God, uh, sent by God the Father and came to earth to take on flesh. Philippians 2 again reminds us that God the Father has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the lord to the glory of god the father so to paraphrase paul i believe that he would say so take that Gnostics. <laughs> <laughs> the word preeminent means surpassing all others. We use that word and you might think, well, what does preeminent mean? It means a dictionary definition of it would be surpassing all of others. There's none like him, nothing above him, on earth or in the universe, outside of earth, Preeminence is also his rightful place in your life and in mine. The question to ask this morning is Is his preeminence evident in your life? And how? Is he first, or is he further down on the list of things that are of most importance in your life? His rightful place is first place. That's his place of preeminence um, that he deserves to have. I'm going to take some time to um, just ask if you've got questions from this, this morning. And, uh, uh, but first I want to close us off in, in a word of prayer. And we've got uh, a, f- a few minutes here uh, yet this morning. So let me, uh, let me close this off in prayer and then, and then I'll take some questions if you have them.